City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Buzz City! It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to another episode of the Hornets Draft Show. Joining me as always, we have Chase Whitney, and also special guest, we're going to three-way pod this week, we've got Tim Rogers from Hornets and Heartbreak. Uh, Tim, how are you doing? Hey, thank you guys very much for having me. I'm doing well. And uh, yeah, very, very excited to, uh, to spar with you two gentlemen today. Yeah. And Chase, you're doing well as good as well? I'm doing great. I uh, just got back from playing some basketball at the park. And I'm going to talk about some basketball. Uh, I can't watch any basketball later because the finals aren't until Thursday, but we'll get two out of three. Well, Chase told me before we start the pod that his NBA comparison is CJ McCollum. So, can, but I can't dribble. CJ McCollum, that can't <laughs> dribble. It's which is an important part of being CJ McCollum. So take that as you will. Um, okay, and th- today the three of us we are coming on and talking all things trades. We've got a bunch of mock trades that we've we've made up, and we're going to kind of just no real structure. We're just going to throw it around work through some trades. It's been reported by Draft Express, by Mark Stein, by Jake Fisher, by everyone that the Hornets are likely to trade at least one of their draft picks. Sounds like more like number 15. Um, but I think it's fair to say we expect Charlotte to be pretty active. And uh, I'd, I'd probably put like it at like a 75, 80% chance they'd make a trade, maybe, maybe even higher. So we're going to start with trades. Then we're going to just finish on a little discussion around Duran versus Williams, because that's one of the reasons... We've got Tim on this week because he has quite the contradictory view, I think, to me and Chase, which is always good to hear the other side. And then we're going to touch on AJ Griffin and also uh, who we've got ranked number one overall for the draft as well, considering they're going to be ending up in Orlando in the same division that Charlotte play in. So um, who wants to get us started today? Let's get off with a good one. Like who's feeling confident? They want to put their hand up and they're thinking, mock trade, I've come up with this one and I really like it. I think I've got a spicy one. Uh, if you guys want to okay, start off with this Chase, one, you you get us started with our first trade proposal. What what have you come up with then? All right. So the reason that I even thought of this was because uh, this player had very good chemistry with Lamelo Ball at All Star Weekend, and a couple days ago, maybe about a week ago by now, uh, he posted on his Instagram that Lamelo sent him a signed jersey of himself, uh, which I thought was so funny because he signed it Lamelo Ball number one inside of the number two, which just <laughs> hammering home the fact that he hates that he even had to wear that number which is hilarious but this player is DeJounte Murray that I'm targeting here for the Spurs and while doing that we're getting Jakob Pertl to help the relieve the center issues you you guys ready for this one I'm ready let's hear it 
All right. So I mean, the Hornets are getting DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertl. And to re- acquire those players, they're giving up Terry Rozier, Mason Plumley, James Booknight, the 13th pick, and then a 25 and a 27 first round pick that are both uh, lottery protected or whatever protections that uh, Mitch Kupchak seems to be able to weasel out of teams that make it easier for them to keep their pick. Um, There's definitely a lot of pick capital, but in order to pry a player away that's seemingly not available and also really good, uh, you're going to have to part with some, some assets here. So what do you, what do you guys think about that one? Uh, Personally. So what we're giving up, we're giving up one of our two picks this year. Yep. And then two future. Yeah. So I actually like that. I mean, assuming so Mark Williams, who I'm high on, I would, you know, like to think maybe he can be better than Jakob Pertle. Well, that's a big maybe, I would say. So I mean, essentially swapping one pick out for Pertle, Terry and you know, two swaps or you know, two protected picks for DeJounte. DeJounte is another guy who I've just dreamed of playing with Lamelo for a long time. You know, Lanky, a good, you know, can guard one through three. I, I really like that. I think if, you know, that was offered to the Hornets, I think I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm probably a little bit cooler on it. Um, my question to you is, what does DeJounte Murray do when the Mello has the ball? Because he can't really shoot, apart from it's like a mid-range pull-up. And I love his defense, and I love his chemistry, but I just don't know how he fits next. Like, if you're getting him, you're starting him alongside the Mello ball. Are you envisaging like DeJounte Murray kind of playing more on ball and the mellow kind of being more of the floor spacer? I think that what we saw last year with LaMelo playing off ball a little bit while Terry did it, that was something that I had in mind because he could with, I think with DeJounte being the playmaker in that situation, rather than Terry, it would probably suit him a little better. And then obviously, like you said, the defensive fit is like seamless. He, I think LaMelo kind of needs a, better defender than him in the backcourt unless he's going to like really focus in on that end which i'm not even sure that i would want him to do if he's going to be like the engine of the team's <laughs> no. offense yeah like that's that's a lot of energy to be like spent if you're captaining the offense and like the lead perimeter defender but uh i definitely understand like your hesitation with the offensive fit that was not as uh like my main selling point for for going after Dejounte. i was like he needs a good backcourt defender uh or that or good defender as his backcourt partner uh Dejounte has some versatility he's good playmaker good scorer on the inside um and I kind of just wanted to go for someone that wasn't uh like a popular trade candidate Mm -hmm. or something necessarily but I think I mean if you offered the Spurs three first round picks and James Booknight like do you think that they would give him up like even if they're not looking to trade him like I've tried to give too much rather than too little I, I think they would, yeah. Okay. I, I, I like that deal more for the Spurs, I think, than, than I think for Charlotte, as long as they don't have any pressure to win, which it, it kind of feels like with like Pop coming in last year that they want to want to be good again soon. But one thing worth also mentioning that deal, Yucca Puddle, you can actually extend him, I believe, for like four years, 58, um, which is probably like around something that he might actually accept as well. So if you get him in the building, you could, could do that. Um, yeah, for, for me, it's probably too rich. Like, it's three first-round picks, four if you count Buck Knight, and you're not even necessarily getting an all-star level player back. I know Jadonte Murray made it as, like, an injury replacement this past year, but in a normal year for injuries, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be an all-star level player again. So, n- not one for me. 
I, I don't like it, but you've got you've got a, a teammate in Tim there who likes the Jante Murray fit. Well, I'm I'm high on Jante, but I also have to say it's very impressive to have a Hornet centric podcast where a team actually gives up too much in a trade. So I like it because it's realistic. Because you yeah. know, like I know when you know there was the Purtle talk around All Star break, and we were like, okay, we could give up maybe PJ and a first, and they were like, maybe we want PJ and a first and Kai Jones. Like it may be a swap. So it's like, obviously, yeah. you know, even if they're playing their hands, I wonder if something, someone who I feel like uh, pop would really like, but the salaries just don't work out very well is like Gordon Hayward. And uh, I know Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report has talked. And I, I found it surprising at least that uh, around the league, he's getting the feel that Gordon Hayward is a neutral contract, not a negative contract. And he just seems like one of those guys, the pop would be like, okay, I can get 17, five and five out of you. Like we can, we can be competition for the play in if the, if this really is his last year. Okay. Tim, go ahead. Give it, give us your favorite, which, what, what have you got? Okay. So I think, you know, we have a 13th and 15th pick. I think every Hornets fan wants at least, you know, assuming we take both of those picks, we want, you know, either Mark Williams or Duran. We want a big man filling in there and I wonder with Trey Young making third team all NBA that means that his extension he's now eligible for the Supermax so Atlanta has Onyeko Okongwu who it looks like a starting center in the making and Clint Capella who had a down year coming off you know great year two years ago maybe he's a little expendable could we do something with swapping maybe 13 15 for 17 and Capella you know in matching salary that that's something just bringing Capella in there as a serviceable pick and moving back two spots out of, you know, our, our two picks. That was just something I'm not, I'm not great at, uh, at the, the faux trades myself, but that was just something, you know, Capella and picks and some combination of salary. Uh, I like, I mean, I like Capella. Uh, he fits what this team needs. If you want to look at a, a defensive rebounder, a guy who can play, uh, good job coverage. I think he definitely helps. Um, I think, I mean, it would obviously depend what the salary filler would be. Um, just to check, it was it was 13 and 15 for 17. Is that right? And, and yeah, Capella? 13. Yeah, so Capella to essentially move up those spots, drop back two for us. And yeah, we, so I guess salary filler with Capella would be someone in the you know, Hayward span, which is obviously a bit rich. That might be losing value uh, or Rozier. So I know certain people have Rozier. They view him as like a negative contract going forward. I don't necessarily yeah. think that, but with the think, extension. So it's kind of hard to work out. I think next to Trey Young, Rozier would struggle. Maybe something like a, I mean, yes, they've got a Conway who would start, but, you know, someone like Mason Plumley and I don't know, uh, Kelly Oubre or something like that, that, that probably gets yeah. you there for numbers wise. For me, I, I mean, I love that deal for the Hornets. Um, I don't know if that's enough for Atlanta because you're essentially dumping, you're dumping Clint Capella for two like late lottery picks, which I don't think they like. The, all the rumors out of Atlanta are they they want to get out of the draft at all. They, they want to get like veteran players in, whereas this seems to be like more of like a rebuilding move for Atlanta. And I, I just don't know if they're quite at that phase yet. Chase, what are your thoughts? So I actually, I do like that one as well. I also came up with a Clint Capella trade. Mine was uh, Ubre and 15 for Capella. So I feel like it's some combination of 
moving one or two of those of the Hornets picks around uh, and then uh, like Oubre or Plumlee or maybe Terry Rozier or something uh, in exchange for Capella and maybe their 17th pick. There, There is a like quite a substantial framework to go off of if the Hornets do want to make a deal for Clint Capella and the Hawks make him available, which seems to be the case because I think um, I don't know who reported it, but basically everybody on the Hawks except for Trey Young is available right now. So. I think yeah, they've a deal been there trying to, be to move John Collins. I also think that, you know, because uh, was it Landry Fields just got moved up to assistant yeah, he did. GM. I think that the Hawks are a little, I think they feel like they don't want to spend, I mean, they just spent two years ago, like $5 million to put a barber shop in their arena. So, I mean, I think that they're a little, a little tight for cash. And yeah, I mean, I think that Trey Young is going to, that Supermax discussion, same way it did with DeMarcus Cousins, Paul George, that's going to start popping up. Capella is there. He was great his first year there. They gave him the extension. And now they're like, man, we're paying John Collins. We have Gallinari on the books. Like, you know, maybe, maybe getting, you know, the two first round picks or the one first round pick. I think they're trying to offload a little bit of cash. Cause I mean, you know, Trey Young's next contract just went up 8%. And when you're talking about, you know, from, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, like that 8% really does count towards a small market team. I think they might be trying to unload. They probably would get a better deal. But I, mean, I, I think do she, love the, you know, sorry, go on, Tim. No, I was going to say, I, I like, uh, I like Chase's, Chase's uh, trade more than mine or the Plumlee edition by you. Yeah. I think the, the Capella, Capella to Charlotte is probably a deal that for Atlanta is like sitting there if they want it like that, that offer I think will be on the table for Charlotte. No problem. Like you said, I, th- I think Atlanta will go big game hunting first. You know, they've been linked with Rudy Gobert and other guys. And if they can't move anywhere and they are still desperate to move money, then I think the first guy they look to dump is Gallinari, who's got like 20 million, I think, this year. Um, he'll be call number one. And number two might be Clint Capella as well. I, I also had a Clint Capella trade. So snap, three-way snap for Clint Capella <laughs> trades. Apart from mine was so complicated, it's actually a hard one for a podcast. But essentially... It was a three-team trade where the Hawks ended up with Rudy Gobert after giving up number 16, John Collins and Capella. And then the Hornets ended up with Clint Capella, Rudy Gay. So essentially they take on a salary dump from Utah, Rudy Gay, and they get Clint Capella. And Charlotte would be giving up like Gordon Hayward to Utah, Jalen McDaniels and a first round pick. So if you essentially look at it as Hayward, McDaniels and a first for Capella, even then, like, I don't know if I really like that, but I, I think there is ways to get there with a Capella trade. The only thing, again, and you never know how much this plays into it, like Atlanta, local rival, Southeastern Conference rival. Like, do, does that play into decisions and trades? I, I don't think it should, especially in the NBA, but, but maybe it does. Okay, I'm going to go next. <clears throat> and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it fairly simple. And... I'm going to go to Kenny Atkinson's old coaching ground in Brooklyn. And we're going to try and take Joe Harris and rehash some value there. So Joe Harris and Kenny Atkinson turned him into a player. Joe Harris and Philadelphia's 2023 pick, which Brooklyn own, for Terry Rozier, straight up. Now, this is essentially a a bit of a salary dump. You're saving about four or five million a year, just straight up on the Harris versus Rosier contract. And on top of that, Harris's contract is two years shorter than Rosier's. And you're getting probably 
a first round pick, which projects to be somewhere in that, I don't know, 18 to 25 range next year, which essentially gives you a first that you can trade again, because with that currently uh, a traded pick from the Kai Jones trade, it's difficult for us to trade future first at the moment. So we potentially need some future currency there. Um, the, the only way you do this is if you believe Joe Harris can get back to where he was as a defender and a shooter before the injury, which is a question mark and could have some concern, but he is a better defender than Terrozier. He's got much more size, which I think fits better to help this team defensively. Um, and he is a great catch and shoot player off screens. Uh, you can use him in off ball action, kind of like, Kenny Atkinson has just been using Clay Thompson for half the year in Golden State. I think that's an option here. So what do we think of, of bringing Joe Harris to Charlotte? I like that one. I mean, I'm not a huge like salary dump fan, but I, th- I think that the 2023 pick from Philly is a good sweetener because if anything goes slightly wrong there, like that could be a lottery pick potentially mm-hmm. and in the one Embiid injury one yeah Harden, exactly if Harden leaves who knows yeah and there, and that seems like it's at least a slight possibility so even if it doesn't go entirely wrong that pick could could be pretty good uh and in a much much better draft like one of the best drafts that is going to come around it in this like half decade or so probably so that is definitely a good currency to have I do I'm a big Joe Harris fan I think he's a really good defender uh, and obviously shooting is something the Hornets can never really have enough of. I don't, I, I think it would, it would hurt me to depart with Terry for him. So I don't know if I would like mail that one in if I were in charge or something, but I definitely, I do like the idea behind that. That makes a lot of sense. I think. Well, I think it also comes down to like, what, what does the front office, how do they feel about book night? So like how, yeah, like, that's you know, true, book night read, yes, yeah, book night ready for 15 minutes or 25 minutes and also, you know, because at this point, Joe Harris is more of like, you know, a three, four for the most part. So that's also a little bit of PJ insurance as well. Like they feel, you know, I have to, they're not one to one, but uh, somewhat similar players. I would, I think I would do that in, in a heartbeat because I could see why Brooklyn, that would appeal to them. Terry Rozier could give them 20, especially with Kyrie as many games as he misses. Uh, and I think, you know, when they're both there, Terry Rozier, he'd get playoff minutes for them. So I could, I could certainly see that. I, I love that trade. I love that trade for both sides. Okay. I'm very warmly received. I'm, I'm glad you are. <laughs> and I, I think the Kenny Atkinson, Joe Harris link is the big thing here because that was when he was at his best was, was under Kenny Atkinson. And if he can get him back to that level, um, I, the drop off in level of play is, is probably, I'd still think Terry Zier is a better player, but with what this team needs the, on the defensive end, it's closer. And I think that first round pick just, just pushes it over the edge. Okay, Chase, we're coming back to you. Give us, give us your next one. All right. So this one is very milk toast. I, I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, Mason Plumley and the 13th pick for DeAnthony Melton. Hornets keep one of their two first round picks. Uh, they move Mason Plumley. Uh, in exchange for D'Anthony Melton, who would basically be like the team's sixth man, like get a little bit bigger of a role than what he has right now in Memphis, which he is very good at. Uh, I really, really like D'Anthony Melton. He's a bit small, but he's still a very good backcourt defender, pretty decent passer. He can shoot pretty well. So um, I would definitely do that one. And, you know, you're not giving up any player 
capital because it's you like don't an, want Mason and it's Plum also anyway. it's, it's Cody Martin insurance as well. Yeah, like that's get, true. Yeah, so it's like you know you don't have to worry about you know like a seven million dollars salary salary slot and roster spot next season. Clear out the spot. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. What do you think, James? I'm still I'm still feeling this one out. I don't I don't have a, a really <laughs> strong feeling on this one. Um, one of my thoughts was that I I think the the backup for Lamelo and Terry should be better than Ish Smith and Isaiah Thomas were. Not that they were like bad or. or I agree. I think. But they, can they Anthony Melton can Melton play point guard? Because I think, he's, I think he came in into the league as a point guard. That yeah, that's my you question. Would only, you would only need to play him at point guard for. 12 to 12 minutes a game probably and then Lamelo or terry could also but could play it for the rest of it you have a lot of ball handlers this will be my counter spot think about even like i think terry rozier is a more capable ball handler and creator and i think that his you know like essentially point guard minutes were kind of a i wouldn't go to say a full-on disaster and i think that was more lineup construction with kelly Oubre and cody martin you know being the other ball handlers but yeah, I don't know. I I do like the Anthony Melton. I think that he is underrated. I think for that value, I I would certainly do that, especially if it makes an extra roster spot available. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Melton's defense is just he's in the 97th percentile for blocks and the 96th percentile for steals four years in a row in the league. He's like. super good at defense for being like, and that's not usually the case with guys that are six, two, which is why and that, defensive like, like, rebounding really stands out to me. Yeah. He, he is like a full blown, like hustle player. Like that's all he, he goes so hard on that end. He's 15% rebound rate, which is in the hundredth percentile <laughs> of the whole NBA for guards, which is, which is absolutely crazy. And I think, he can shoot. And he can shoot. Um, yeah, if, if I knew that he would like be able to play point guard, I think he, I'm just looking here. He played point guard 18% of his minutes last year. And, it, uh, you know, he was playing next to Tyus Jones for m- majority of his minutes. If I had a, just a bigger sample size, he could definitely be like the backup point guard. That that would interest me. Um, and I do really like his defense. Um, so if it was 15 instead of 13, it's one of those, like, if, right, if like Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin... Uh, I don't think Matherin's going to fall. But if one of those two wings fell, I think I'd prefer like maybe them over Melton. But if you got to the point where it's like Branham or Agbaji, then I, I think I'd prefer Melton in that scenario. So I, I actually quite like that one. I think that's my favorite one so far of, of the ones you guys have come up with. There we go. And uh, you know that Memphis would definitely take uh, Oche from uh, Kansas. It's like, oh yeah, he's a senior. It's like he's 22 years old. It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll take him. And that's and they, thing, Yeah, uh, and they could use another wing too, especially if they're giving up Melton, but just in general, they could probably use another one. Back to that one thing that, uh, you know, the Hornets, you know, we used to have the joke of like, oh, we only draft like, you know, big time college players. But like recently with the Cupjack era, we've been nailing like sophomores time after time. Like, you know, Miles, uh, PJ, Booknight, Kai, they were all sophomores. Uh, and yeah, I think that Memphis has really found a nice middle ground of like, they just take a 22 year old out of college, just like ready to play year one. And I think that more teams should do that. I mean, Memphis, they just won executive of the year. So yeah, I could, I could see them doing that. If their, if their front office is competent in uh, developing another, you know, somewhat three and D wing. Yeah, I would, I would like that for the Hornets a lot. I think DeAnthony Melton would be perfect. And this also plays back to, do you think that book Knight can be a lead ball handler on a second unit, you know, in the regular season? 
Like, could he be? Uh, a, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not convinced from what I've seen yet. Um, not either. Is the case. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, I, I think part of this as well, from, from Memphis's perspective, like Tyus Jones is a free agent this year and this kind of seems to be the general exception that they're not going to re-sign him, which if that's the case, then I, I imagine they don't want to let Melton go because they probably do want to play Melton almost as that primary backup point guard. Um, so, yeah, but if they're like in the front office, we definitely want to re-sign Tyus. We'd rather do this trade and have Tyus than just have Melton. Then then I think that's a goer. So, um, yeah, it would obviously depend on how they how they value Tyus and Melton on that front. Um, Tim, let's hit us with the next one. Let's keep us going here. We're doing well. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it back to you actually because mine mine are just not my my trades are not up to snuff. Your guys, this is my weak spot as an as an analyst. Say. Okay, all right, that's fine. Throw it back to me. Let's let's go down. I'm gonna go down a similar route to Chase here, um, which is. A really simple one-for-one, one, essentially. There might be a pick in here as well, but it's trading with the Sacramento Kings. We're not trading up for the fourth pick, but it's straight up PJ Washington for Davion Mitchell and a second-round pick. Now, let me talk you through the reasoning behind this trade. I think PJ Washington is a better player than Davion Mitchell. This is not because I think Mitchell is a better player, right? But... I do, I do really like Mitchell as a, as a prospect. Um, I liked him last year's draft. He is, again, similar to Melton, like a, a defense-first, ball-pressure guy. He's definitely a, a point guard. He can back up Melo, and he could play next to him. Um, he's on a contract for three more years, okay? Cost-controlled, like between five to seven million per year. So you essentially just bucking in your backup point guard, and also you could play uh, some secondary ball handler as well. PJ Washington is expiring next summer. And if the Hornets are going to pay Miles Bridges this summer, if they like the, the aspects of JT Thor, if they end up drafting a Jeremy Sohan or a Tari Eason or an EJ Liddell, all of a sudden that's looking a little bit crowded and you're beginning to question if PJ is going to, going to be able to be retained just from the financial perspective. Um, so I understand this will probably be unpopular amongst Hornets fans because He's a switchable four or five player. You look at the playoffs, something like that fits well. But I wouldn't do it straight up if it wasn't for the contract situation and the other team context. I I like it if you're assuming are are we are we assuming that we're gonna trade one of the two picks? Um I that very well could happen, but um I I don't know. I this was kind of independent of any secondary trade. Okay, because I, I kind of like it because I do think that our front court, I think we were one of the few teams that has, we have a lot of fours where like, you know, Miles, I really project like long-term as a four, PJ is a four, Kai has spoken as though he wants, like he views himself more as a power forward to four. So like it is, it is a little backed up in the front court of non-center positions. So I think that that might actually be good value, especially when you talk about the uh, cost control as well, especially Davion really popped off the last about month and a half of the season, showed some secondary ball handler control. I don't, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. And, and the assumption here as well, I should add, is that Sacramento would then draft Jaden Ivey, okay? So Ooh, that, that's, why, 
that's why they're moving off Mitchell to create that secondary guard spot. So that's that would go in, in line with this trade. Chase, you're looking a bit stressed. I, I think you're beginning to sweat here. Like I, I'm getting some negative vibes from you on this one. I can, I mean, I'm not surprised that I could project these negative vibes uh, through <laughs> Zoom across the Atlantic Ocean to you. I would not do that. Um, I and it's basically for what you said at the very end is that like PJ is the exact type of player that like fits really well in a playoff team and a playoff environment. You can play him in a variety of lineups. He can shoot the three. He can pass. He can defend multiple front court positions, and he's not slow out on an island in the perimeter. Um, whereas Davion Mitchell isn't really that great of a shooter. He's a good pull up shooter, but I don't, I don't, I don't trust him to be like a consistent career long three point shooter uh, as an off ball player. And you're not going to use him as an on ball player on a team that has Lamelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, uh, currently Gordon Hayward. Um, so I, and I, I, and he's just, he's six one. The Gary Payton, Marcus smart, like no, antagonistic no, guard role. Rel- no, but, but, no. Yeah, I mean, I do think he's good. Mean... I no, Marcus is twice Davion Mitchell's size. Marcus would put Davion on a, on a plate with a fork and knife and cut him up would, with a napkin in, in his shirt. The reason that I strictly like to trade, it would be under the assumption that you would think that cup Jack and Jordan, that they're not going to pay PJ. Yes. Yeah, that that's absolutely. fair. Yes, and at absolutely. that point, I do agree that you need to look for something. And like, if this is the best thing you can get, then I guess. Yeah. Because if, if you, as soon as you reach the trade deadline and PJ's on an expiring contract, and if things don't go well this season, he's lost all trade value. He is then yeah. going to, he then could turn into, uh, you know, a guy who essentially have to let work, work walk for financial pressure. And, and for me, this is just getting ahead of that issue. Um, but no, that's that's fine. Look, we we don't expect everyone to, to like all these. I, I like the pushback. I don't want just my uh, I don't want to be Michael Jordan surrounding myself with guys just, uh, you know, telling me great. Well done. Like I, I want to be challenged. So I like that. <laughs> um, Chase, you've got one more, I believe. Do you want to hit us with your last one? All right. So I had a lot of I had trouble like actually constructing this because it's literally just trading picks for picks but this is based off of having Shaden Sharp in for his first solo workout of the pre-draft process the the Hornets were the very first team that got him in for a one-on-one workout he's participated in uh some other ones and some team workouts since then I believe he was with the Blazers today I think he's working out for 10 teams I read yeah no he's worried and the Hornets are going to be the lowest team that he works out for which is weird for a mystery man normally the mystery man doesn't work out for 10 teams it's so bizarre exactly but I'm and I think part of that is because like obviously he worked out for the Hornets because they have a relative amount of interest in him and to get him to kind of be work out for a team that currently has the 13th pick um, and is much lower than his presumed draft stock, which I find it hard to believe he's going to fall outside of the top 10. Um, he, they had to have had him in there for a reason. Like he, they, mm. they have to have interest in moving up. So if you can package 13 and 15, do you think that that gets you to seven with the Portland Trailblazers? I don't think that. And the problem with that is if it doesn't, the Pelicans probably don't want two picks. The Spurs already have three picks, so they don't probably yeah. don't want two picks. The Wizards probably don't want two picks. And if he's not, and if the Knicks, if he's there for the Knicks, they're just going to take him. And then you're at Oklahoma City. There's literally no chance they would pass on Shaden Sharp after they had just gotten Chet Jabari or Paulo. So 
if you can't get to seven, you're in trouble. But what do you guys think about the possibility of being able to trade 13 and 15 for seven to get uh Shaden Sharp if he's still there? Are you putting PJ on the table with you could put, may, maybe put 45, uh, like unprotect the Knicks pick and put like a. I don't think it's going like to do I, 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 I don't know. I, I, Portland, I, that was hard for me. Portland demand a win now player with that. Okay. They I, have I a think, trade exception that would fit Kelly Oubre. I don't know if they'd want that, but it's something that's more. I, I don't think they would want that. <laughs> and they'd probably want to use that trade exception on Jeremy Grant or at least wait to see if they can. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure. I w- didn't think it would either necessarily need a player with it i I think 13 15 plus pj is like and and i'm not saying would would you do james book night if you're trading up for shade and sharp because i mean i would yes yeah because then you'd have shade shade and book night and terry so i i I, just don't think that that would that might be that might be it but you're right i don't know if they want him yeah yeah me personally as a hornets fan i'm just looking i want an extra year of disappointment from a shooting guard malik true we've had a long run going Book night didn't give me enough disappointment, but Shaden Sharp trading up for him. Oh, yeah. I, you guys were talking about, uh, wasn't math or in the other day, but it's like my worst case scenario is with the Hornets that like a, like a sharp somehow drops to 13 and he wasn't on our board. But we felt obligated to, cause like, Oh, this guy fell. And it was the always book night all over again. It's the monk. Yeah. And it's like the day after the draft, you feel great. And then 20 games yeah. into the season, you're like, I hate this guy. Why did it? Why, why did everyone not draft him? Why? Why did he slide all of a sudden? Oh yeah. Why are the we reasons. the smartest team in the lottery? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. If they would do the two picks, I would do it in a heartbeat. I, yeah. I just think Portland wants something back to win around Dame right now, and I, th- I think they would be open to to taking a couple of prospects, but they. I don't think Buck Knight moves the needle for them. I think it would have to be PJ, essentially. He's the only guy who I think has the right contract size um, who, they, who they'd want to take in. But, but I, again, and I think you, similar, you can go for Jalen Duran as well, right? Depending yeah. if, if, if he was the target at seven, uh, I can see Tim is shaking his head in disappointment there. But um, I, if, if that was the guy they wanted, um, getting up to seven seems right. I do think there are ways that they... They could trade with San Antonio. San Antonio currently, I think, have 9, 20, and 25. Uh, but if, if San Antonio were to move off 20 and 25 in separate deals, they might then want to do that kind of one for two picks uh, later on, especially if they've got guys like, I don't know, Agbaji or Eason ranked really high on their board and they know they'll be there. Um, so, so, yeah, but I think the, the combining two picks to trade up somewhere is something that they will no doubt be having conversations with, with other teams about. Okay, uh, I've got two left here, and I'm, I'm not sure which one I want to pitch to you. Uh, are you more interested to hear about Matisse Tybel or Rui Hachimura and Caldwell Pope? <laughs> Neither? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll, we'll, go, All right. we'll go Rui. How about that? What about you, Tim? Uh, what? Uh, let's, let's go Rui. Let's... Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so, oh, you're really not going to like this. Um, <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets would be trading Terrorizier. I'm just going to watch your faces as I say this. Terrorizier, number 13 and number 15, right? Or, already scrunching up, I get it. For Rui Hachimura, the number 10 overall pick, which is a big part of this deal, essentially 
This is with the assumption, again, that someone like Durin or Sharp are there at number 10 and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So my thinking is the team were reportedly really high on Rui Hachimura in the draft process, if you remember a few years ago. So all the mock drafts had Charlotte taking um, and he ended up getting drafted by the Wizards before he was available to Charlotte. So there was definitely some interest from the scouts in the front office in Rui Hachimura. Um, consolidating those two picks to move up to number 10 to get a guy, whether that's Sharp or whether that's Duran, is something that we've obviously just talked about. And I think we've, we all kind of are proponents of that move, depending on, on who it is. And then Caldwell Pope to replace Terrozier. Again, similar as like a Joe Harris type player. Um, he's only on a one-year contract. So is Hachimura actually. So this is a, again, it would save you some money, but also you could re-sign these guys and have their... Uh, Rui Hachimura would be a restricted free agent. You'd have full bird rights with Caldwell Pope. And Pope probably becomes like a good defender, floor space, a good catch and shoot player as well. So you're replacing Terry's there with a bigger, more defensive orientated guard who probably isn't as good a shooter, but can still shoot. You're getting a look at Rui Hachimura, who the team have had interest in before. And I think he shot 43% on catch and shoots this year. And then you're adding the number 10 overall pick. What say you? That trade was like a, like like an IPA. Like the first two sips you take, it kind of makes you go like, Meh. then you get into it and you're like, I, I, I don't mind this. I, I can I can do this. I can, I can finish this whole thing. But yeah, I actually did like that a lot more um, than I thought I would at, at the beginning. I, I, I The 13, 15 for 10 helps a lot. And then I actually like uh, KCP quite a bit uh, as a player, especially for a team like the Hornets that not only just needs more, players that care about defense but kind of could use like an older player that cares about defense there we I feel like we lose track of how young this team is still sometimes like half the team is pretty much under the age of 26 um KCP would be a good like older guy to have around I think that you know has a lot of the skill sets that this team could use on the perimeter and then I I, really I'm not a huge fan of necessarily I, I think PJ is definitely a better player than Rui right now but he's not bad he's not bad so he's he'd be good to have on the team like that'd be a really like deep wing front court uh rotation that you'd have right there like it, it doesn't matter who you'd put in you'd have a ton of length and athleticism on the floor yeah I agree it this comes back to like the kind of the log jam at you know the fourth spot where like Rui is pretty much just like at this point He's just a straight four, you know, not good enough defensively to play the five, can't dribble, so he's not a three. Uh, the shooting is solid. It depends on, I mean, how, me personally, I, like, so that would be, like, you take Roy, Roy with, like, the 15th pick because, you know, you're moving up. I personally don't like a lot of the players in, like, the 8 to 11 range as much. I don't think there's a big gap between, like, you know, 10 and 13 would be my biggest thing. Cause I think the KCP worst case scenario, let's say he stinks it up for two months. We can probably still trade him to a contender for like the 24th pick going forward. And I don't think that the Terry loss would be like that big of a deal. I'm, I'm lower on Terry than most. I think he's a fine player, good at his role, but you know, not, not in love with it. But I think that, you know, again, that's the sign of a good trade where we're kind of like squirming at first, but then at the end we come to like a solid agreement. Okay. I, I mean, I've got a few others here, just like Kobe White. Anyone got interest in Kobe White? 
do either of you want me to try and find a way to get Kobe White to Charlotte as a backup yeah. point guard? Yeah, no, I, I, I like that one. Yeah, I, I, I like okay. Kobe Hadley. White. I'm a, yeah. I'm a believer. So Kobe, like the, the Bulls have the 18th pick. Um, I don't know if I love this, but essentially the Hornets receive number 18 and Kobe White and they give the Bulls number 15 in Jalen McDaniels, which I think people are probably on board until I said Jalen McDaniels. But you're essentially, again, you're moving a bit of your positional value on the roster. You've got JT Thor, you've got Jalen McDaniels, kind of similar role and players. I think Jalen is ahead of JT Thor right now, but he's obviously older. Um, You need to get a backup point guard in at some point. Kobe White plays fast. He shot the ball well this past year. And we played like two thirds of his minutes of point guard. So I feel good about that. And you're moving a little bit further back from the draft, but you're still going to be able to, you know, not too much, just three spots. Um, like it, it's a bit of shuffling the deck chairs, really. Um, I, I don't know if I love it, but if, if you're a Kobe White believer, I'm, I'm guessing you probably would. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. That might be the favorite one that I've heard so far. <laughs> I, would, say, I must be a Kobe White believer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, like I would do that, I would do sure. that so goddamn fast. Like that would be oh. so because you could still get. And I think this look is how also, excited he's got, Tim. This look is, how excited he's got talking about Kobe I, White. <laughs> and this is also so I I do really so imagine like the role that Isaiah Thomas was playing at the end of the year, but it's just like six five Kobe White doing all of that scoring and ball handling, uh, in like really short spurts and just getting up like five shots in three minutes. I think that that's a lot more translatable to success. Not, and I'm, don't get me wrong. Kobe White plays very little defense, and that would be a slight problem. But he that's fit not, right in. It's not, exactly like that's already <laughs> a thing. Like, and he is a better scorer than any backup that Lamelo has had, really. Since I mean, I guess other than Devonte, but. Kobe is a much more versatile, like inside the arc scorer uh, than Devonte was, and he also shot pretty well last year and my other thing is if you move down to 18 you can still probably get one of the players that I really like that's in the uh, late lottery early um, or like late teens range and Blake Wesley Malachi Branham uh, or Dalen Terry or maybe even like Jaden Hardy or something but um, I actually really like that one I think moving down um, three spots to get like a long-term backup point guard or off the bench scorer is a, is a very good deal. I mean, and then this, like, is, this is sorry, go on, Tim. Oh, no, 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 go. No, I'll, he, Chase, Chase nailed it. My very last one I'm going to throw out. You, you both, you know, scrunched up your faces at the name of Matisse Tybal, but it's Matisse Tybal and Danny Green. So you're essentially taking a salary dump of one year, 10 million for Danny Green. You're getting Matisse Tybal for his trouble, and you're giving up Kelly Oubre and a second round pick. Um, so it's a bit of a, it gives Philly a little bit more salary flex. Uh, Matisse Thibault kind of played his way out of the rotation. Kelly Uber gives them a four spacer. I, I, I feel like Charlotte need to add something else to make this work, but I don't really want to add anything else other than a second round pick. Um, maybe if they added again, like a, a Jalen McDaniels and an Uber for Thibault and Green, maybe you could do that. But it's just about look, trying to get some defense on the wing in Charlotte and Thibault would do that. And Green is not going to be able to play next year. It, you know, he, I'd like his veteran presence being around the team. But if I'm being honest, it's, he's not going to have too much impact when he is just like sitting on the side he's, and not he playing. Would, he, he would do the Joe even, Ingles rehab where he doesn't yeah, even he's, join the yeah, team. Yeah, he's not even buying a condo here. Yeah. No, but 
But if that relief, I would, I would do that. Kelly Oubre is my least favorite player on the team. I think that Matisse Seibel is overrated, but I think Kelly Oubre is uh, even worse. And yeah, Matisse Seibel, I think that might even have a better impact on us because like we're not worried about like the even like the semifinals where he really gets exposed. I mean, I think like you know mid February, I think Matisse would be awesome. Gets us out in transition. Yeah, I would, I would do that. That's another one I would do in a heartbeat. I would say. I agree. I just think Philly need more. It feels, it feels a bit unfair. Like they're getting Kelly Oubre. Why do they want Kelly Oubre? Like I know he places the floor. I know he can play on the wing, but they've already got a guy like Shake Milton who can probably play a similar role. So maybe you have to add something else. Like I wouldn't want to add 15 in. I think then that turns into like too much for Matisse Stiebel. Um, it probably has to be one of the young guys like a, a JT Thor or a Kai Jones. And again, I, I don't, I don't like doing that either for like maybe a one year rental of a T Stiebel, although you would, he would be a restricted free agent. So you would be able to get him back. Um, okay. I think that's it for trades. Um, what we'll just go quickly round. What was, what was everyone's favorite? What sticks out in their mind? Uh, Tim, do you want to go first? Ooh, it, it might be the last trade. It might be the Matisse trade, just as far as what we're giving up. That one, that one stuck with me a fair amount. What about you, James? I'm going to go for Chasers, which was Plumlee and 13 for Melton, um, which mm. the more and more I think about it, the, the more and more I liked it. If it was 15, it would be obviously be a little bit better, wouldn't it? But uh, <laughs> we, we might not be able to pull that one off. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I'd like that for Melton. Mine was definitely the uh, Kobe White one at the end here I, I, I liked that mm. one a lot uh and I, I I don't I don't want to give it to myself but I'm still very I I very confident or not confident I'm very hopeful that DeJounte Murray will spring loose from the San Antonio Spurs at some point there will be some sort of rumor I thought about doing a uh, Donovan Mitchell one just to be like a get like a big guard or something that's on the market but could you imagine Donovan Mitchell and LaMelo uh like a, a, the defensive backcourt in a playoff situation like, like right, Lamella yeah, could already... be good in a few years, but right now, next season, that would be they'd be baby food, probably. Say, uh, a hot take I have. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is clearly better than Terry Rozier. I don't really think he's that much better than Terry Rozier. I tend to, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, Terry Rozier like, is my know, favorite he's, player. He's, in the NBA, but... he's more oh. better. Would our, would our team, would our team be better? Like, you know, we would win. Yes. Four more regular season games, maybe. In the playoffs, dude, Donovan Mitchell is not that good. He's not a creator. He's too small. Can't finish at the rim. Again, he was awesome his rookie year. And ever since then, he's kind of been coasting. He's not a great – he doesn't have three-point range, like, you know, four foot back from the line. He doesn't have that dame range. He's a good – he's definitely better than Terry Rozier. But on a neutral team in a vacuum, is he that much better? Is he worth giving up, like, two first-round picks better? Negative commander. Well, I, I mean, we just talked about trading Terry's here and Joe Harris, and now we're like, yeah, I don't know if Donovan Mitchell's that much better. I, I disagree with that one. I, I really like Donovan Mitchell. And I think he's got a really hard time in Utah. And I think a lot of the time, if you look at the stats from their big games, Donovan Mitchell has been great. And he's been let down by a lot of his other teammates. <laughs> Rudy Gobert has been played off the floor time and time again in playoff series. Um, you know, other guys around him, Bogdanovich, Clarkson, uh, Mike guess, Conley, who has been terrible since this, going to Utah. This was more just the impetus. It was the problem with the Monk pick, and it's the problem with the Book Knight pick. Who's the best two guard in the league? 
Jalen Brown. Yeah, and like, is Jalen Brown a top? He's the 17th best player. Yeah. Like, the two guard is pretty, pretty barren. Like, unless you're like a primary offensive creator who can shoot around 40% from three and run, pick, and roll, like, you just, you know, it's good. But like, I wouldn't say that you're like, you know, Steve Smith or whatever from like, you know, late 90s. But like, I just think the two guard is one of those things. It's like maybe the least valuable position. In the NBA, that's why I'm down on Johnny Davis as well. Where like Johnny Davis, very good, but like defensively, he can be like Gary Harris, and offensively, he could be like Alec Burks. Like, yeah, I mean, how much value is that really? I just think the two guard is the least important position. I guess I should say, even though it's positionless basketball. But okay, so that's going to bring our trade talk to the end. Um, we're going to move on to just finish with a couple of little draft hits here. So. Tim, I know one of the reasons you wanted to come on the pod was to talk about Jalen Duran after listening to our Center Rankings podcast. So at this point, I will hand over to you and I will let you pose your argument and, and communicate your point. So fire away. Okay. So Duran, definitely a tantalizing prospect. He has all, you know, he's one of the best athletes I can remember seeing probably for the last seven years at the center spot. Great. But I just don't see the big upside in him where like, let's say, you know, between him and Mark Williams, Mark Williams, a better rim protector, which is the most important thing any big man can do. I guess I just don't really buy that big of a deal, even if Duran progresses so much, even with like the two year age gap, he's, he's not going to be an actual shooter. Like maybe he can nail some PJ Tucker corner threes. You're not really going to ask him to pass the ball. And I think that his, his passing has been, you know, some circles underrated, some circles overrated. I view it as overrated. Uh, he had more games with five turnovers than he did with zero turnovers. Um, I think that the passing out of the role is really inaccurate. And I think that his ability to switch on the perimeter has been not vastly overrated, but I don't think he's going to be like a bam out of bio, I guess I should say. So I view him as like, he could be, like prime DeAndre Jordan, which is good, but he just strikes me as a guy who you will regret their second contract. Okay, I'm, uh, <laughs> me and Chase are both speechless. We we uh, we no. Uh, so, I'm hating. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to offer some rebuttal here. So, firstly, you talk about the two years in age difference which is obviously a big thing here. Um, at the age of Jalen Duran, Mark Williams was still in high school. And Jalen Duran is playing for Memphis, led them to the NCAA tournament in a terrible situation, which if you look at the context of the two players, Mark Williams was surrounded by Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Paolo Banquero, like NBA players who can pass, who can shoot, who can dribble, drawing all the attention where Mark Williams is getting pretty much open dump-offs around the rim. Um, Jalen Durham was like number one on the scouting report after Amani Bates packed it in, like after three games. Everything was about stopping Jalen Durham catching it deep, stopping it getting inside. He didn't have a point guard at all. So everything he had to do was so much harder than Mark Williams. So I think if you were to flip the two players in context, I didn't even think this would be a discussion because I think Jalen Durham would have put up absolutely massive numbers. I, I do agree that Mark Williams is the better shot blocker and rim protector. I get that. But 
Duke's off Duke's defense with Mark Williams off the floor was actually better. Memphis had one of the top rated defenses in the country, according to Kempom, with Jalen Duran, an 18-year-old at the center of it. So I think if you look at kind of some of the on-off impacts there, I, I think you can maybe see some of the impact that Duran has. Um, and then the, I think the other thing is just like their approach and mindset to the game. Jalen Duran has a mindset for me that he wants to be like an, an all-star type player, which I can understand you probably maybe view as like a, a negative because how many, how many centers with his skill set go on to be kind of like go-to guys on their team, at least efficiently and help drive winning. I, I understand that. But Mark Williams is like going to be a role player from day one. You can tell just from how he talks, he's like, yeah, that's, I just did my job. Whereas Jalen Duran, I feel, will try and expand his game. He wants to be able to prove that he can shoot him from further out. He wants to catch it and mash people in the post. So I just think the offensive upside is, is higher with Duran. That's, um, that's, where, that's where it throws me off because what is the offensive upside? Like, okay, so unless you think he's going to be getting up two threes a game, and like you think he can be like a bam out of bio level passer. Like, I just think that they are gonna be role players. Like realistically, you know, every every center in the league outside of Carl Anthony Towns and Jokic and Embiid, like offensively, you know, their their job is, you know, they'll run the pick and roll, they can make the short roll. But other than that, like I just think defensively it's more important. Like Duran, like I just I I don't see like when when are you ever like you know we call it on a Hornet Star Break the the Kaminsky principle, where Frank Kaminsky was a dog in the post in Wisconsin, but then he gets to the league and you never want to run that play for. Him. So Duran, I will say, is a great you know alley oop passer, but that also means that you're either playing him at the four or you have a five that can like you know stretch out like. I just don't – I think that Duran could – I think that there's a good chance Duran could be better. But I wouldn't trade up for Duran. I don't think he's that special of a player. I just don't see the upside unless you think that he actually can switch on the perimeter and, you know, be like some – not a lockdown guy, not a Draymond Green, but like someone who can agitate guards on the perimeter. And I just think that, you know, he's not going to grow another two inches. He's not going to be as tall as Williams. The standing reach is better the wingspan is better. I just think, you know, center is kind of a, you fit a square into a square peg and there's really not that much room for variation outside of like the outstanding offensive centers. So I definitely think that like, like your overarching point about centers, just like you got to be in the top five, six, seven centers in the league, or you're basically a role player. Like I definitely don't disagree with that. And I don't think Jalen Duran is going to be one of those guys either. But I think there's still room uh, in, especially in like a, an offense like the Hornets, where it's so predicated on ball movement and everyone being able to make like quick decisions and the right decision, like most of the time while you're making it uh, it quickly. Uh, I, th- I think Duran is a much better fit in that type of offense than Mark Williams, because I, I, know, I know you don't seem very high on his passing, but that that's like probably my favorite thing about his game. Like, I think he he's re- he's good in the short role. I, and you're right that it's not entirely accurate like he he's very young so he does need to clean up those sorts of things but just the fact that he can like see them happening I think is really good uh whereas Mark Williams is kind of like the only like really quick like good plays that he makes are like when he draws a double team but Jalen Jalen Duren can like set a screen 
I flip his hips, pivot out, catch the ball, like do like a power dribble or not even dribble at all and just kind of flip it over to the corner or to a guy cutting from the dunker spot or something, uh, which I think is a, like would be a really, really good fit uh, in the Hornets offense. And I, I, I actually I do like your the, the prime DeAndre Jordan comparison, but my my favorite one this for him. Insult. No, no, not at all. I, 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 I didn't take it as one either. Prime DeAndre Jordan was really, really good. Like how. <laughs> inept he has been at times in the last couple of years has like I feel like clouded like m- people that didn't watch the NBA and like the he was er- amazing early 20- he was incredibly good if he's peaked DeAndre Jordan you definitely pick him in, in like the top eight to ten picks or something but I, I think he could be more like Robert Williams like currently because Robert isn't like a switchable big to where you put him out on a guard and be like, all right, he's fine, but he does, he can switch. He can cover guys in a pinch. He can keep the ball in front of him. He's mobile enough to do so. And he's strong enough to wall guys off. Uh, And then just like the pure athletic ability coupled with maybe slightly undersized, but still has enough size to make a difference. Like to make, yeah, exactly. Like to make a massive impact with how athletic they are like that. That's kind of, who he reminds me of and, and the passing too. Like Rob is also a really good passer. Uh, Jalen Duran is too. And I, I agree with you. I don't think he's ever going to shoot, but I don't think he necessarily needs to either. If he can come out of the short roll and hit like a little pull-up jumper or a floater or some sort of like fadeaway jumper in a po- and uh, in the post or like mid post and late shot clock or something like, I think that'll be good enough to warrant like keeping him on the floor uh, in like late game situations or just playing him a lot in general and, you know, being able to give him the ball and trust him and stuff. And, and just the last point, sorry, just last point I want to come in is, I do think as well, there's, you you kind of cast like your garbage men center. So you've got guys like Clint Capella and Jarrett Allen, who on paper you say, they do the same thing. They rebound, they dunk, uh, they block shots. But if you look at them, such like different offensive players, like Clint Capella is like, if he gets over 12 points a game, you're like, ooh, whereas like last year, Jarrett Allen was up at like 16 points per game, was having 20, 10 games. So the same archetype as a player, but one has a, a much higher offensive ceiling. And that's what I see with Durin and, and Williams again. I think you could almost kind of compare like Allen and Clint Capella. Allen's just got a little bit more. He can probably finish through traffic and over, and over people a little bit more than Capella. And that's what I see... Durham be able to I think it's just a little bit better coordinated on the on the offensive end scoring on the interior I do agree that he does have like more offensive upside and I would I would agree with that I just don't think it's worth I mean I guess if they're both there at 13 or there at 15 if Duran drops I just don't really see why there is the gap as much like I understand the two-year thing like I see the potential where like you know Duran is like one of the best athletes is a big man. I mean, you see some of his alley-oops, some of his blocks. They're amazing. I just see Williams as like, you know, almost from the jump, like he's going to be a very competent center. But like, I think that almost undersells him a little bit where like, I think that he is significantly better in the paint. And this, you know, we're talking about, you know, like, you know, switching this and that. That's why I'm so interested with the Atkinson hire where like, I mean, our defense right now, we're, we're starting at zero. Like, for all we know, we could, you know, we were zone heavy last year. Atkinson was zone heavy in, uh, in Brooklyn. But, yeah, we just – we really have no idea. And it's like – I think that Duran does have more flexibility where I could see him being a really good drop center and also being able to switch out 
I just think that Mark Williams, a very rock solid regular season, like, you know, maybe in the finals, he'll get played off the court. But I think that, and I normally wouldn't go with the safer pick, but I also just think that the upside is not that much different. Even if Duran really develops his offensive game, what are you going to run like two plays a game for him, three plays a game as a center with all the other firepower that we have. I just don't, I don't see him ever turning into like Bam Adebayo. I guess I would say that's like his. I, I agree that I, I didn't see the Bam. I, I don't think he's got the, the ball handling and the feel for the game that Bam has. I, I would agree with that. J- just to finish up on this kind of on this section then. If, if both are available in a world, let's say the Hornets trade up to 10 or they're sitting there at 13, if both Mark Williams and Duran are available, would you still lean Williams? Or is your point just that you wouldn't trade up for Duran? Um, it's mainly that I wouldn't give up an extra asset for the difference. Yeah. Um, which I, which I, I understand. I guess it also, I have to, I have to preface this. I'm a big Kai Jones believer. I've, uh, I've been calling him baby Giannis since Texas, and I know he's not going to get there. But it does kind of compile where, like, I don't see the point. Like, I don't, I don't know if Duran and Jones can play together, but I could kind of see Williams, like, if you believe in Jones' jump shot whatsoever. So, I mean, I'm taking another leap of faith, even though arguing against Duran. So I'm talking both sides of him out. I think I would take Williams. I, I believe in Williams. I think that he's just a... Very, I think his shot blocking is better. And I think that as a center, that's the most important thing you can do. I think it's just like defend, defend, defend. And, you know, we can have PJ out there and, you know, the five for like pinch lineups. I, I would rather just take the actual true center I believe in. I've been burned by other young prospects in the Bismack Biombo build. So, I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I admit that I'm, I could, I could totally be wrong. I probably be wrong. Okay. Um, Let's move on. Let's move the conversation on to AJ Griffin, who I know you wanted to talk about. Um, what, what did you want to share? What musings do you want to share in AJ Griffin? Okay, so you guys were talking about, uh, I believe Chase said that he could see AJ being a top five shooter in the league. I agree with that. And I think that that in itself is worth the pick. I think that, you know, like, we view like prospects and their, their skills and what they could do is like a list of like, okay, on a scale of one to five, but shooting is the most important thing in the league, like by a mile. Like I think a good playmaker, like a playmaker who's like, you know, a three out of five and a shooting's three out of five versus someone who has a five out of five in shooting and a one out of five in playmaking. I'll take the five out of five in shooting. I think it's the most important thing in the league. Even if you get exposed in the second round of the playoffs, you like other than like you know Kispert last year. It's like man, those guys are getting minutes. Like if AJ Griffin is actually like a forty-one percent three-point shooter on like even medium volume, then he's a rotation player for the next ten years as long as his knees don't fall apart. So why did Nate Darling ever make it in the NBA? I think we know what. There's a difference between AJ Griffin and, and Nick Stauskas. Yeah, don't say he hasn't made it. There's there is still time. There is still when time. When I was when I was formulating this argument, I was like, ah, Nick Stauskas. I was like, that stuff. But he really was more like mid-range guy in trouble. I well, just let's, you no, actually- let, me th- let me throw out Duncan Robinson, because that's the one, right? Who essentially yeah. was benched in the Miami playoff series. Um, he is one of the best shooters in the NBA. But it is a singular skill. He can't do much else. And he gets taken advantage of defensively. Um, so I'm going to throw out 
him as the example, you can shoot 42%, 41% in the NBA, and it doesn't guarantee you to be a, a player that contributes. I think I AJ is probably I mean, going to be a better defender than Duncan, though. Maybe even like right off the bat. But I, I, I get your point. Like he might not be, especially if the injury concerns are real, he might not be the athlete that he once was, which takes away not only his defense, but his off the dribble creation as well, which was a pretty big, uh, something that a pretty big part of his game when he was in high school. Uh, and his, because he's obviously a great shooter. So if he can get to a spot uh, using his dribble, that shot's going to, go in a lot of the time too but uh, I, I was watching the Duke and Louisville game recently from like late January uh, when I was doing a Mark Williams scouting profile uh, and AJ Griffin lit it up in that game I think he yeah he went five for five from three uh, he finished with 22 points uh, I watched that game shooting he was on fire that game there's one uh, he's just running up the like the opposite side of the court from where the TV camera is in transition uh, and he just catches it and immediately just rips one. And you can hear Paulo Boncaro under the basket go boom, like right before the ball, <laughs> right when the ball goes through the net. Cause it was like the third one that he had hit already. And it's just like when, when he gets going, like it's like one of the purest strike, probably is the purest like shooting stroke in this class. Like it, you, it go, it's going in right when it leaves his hands. Like it's, it's so good looking. No, I, I agree. I think AJ will be a good shooter. The, the only thing I will say is at the college level, like to get to his three-point shot in terms of like self-creation, he kind of relied on these step backs, which, which were pretty slow, but he was always so tall and so long and he shot the ball from quite a high point that it didn't matter because even if the kind of defender did close out on him, he could just shoot over. I do wonder in the NBA if he's going to have the quick twitch nature to, like he's not a great kind of off-screen guy. Um, I don't see him kind of combining a bunch of dribble moves to get into a three-point shot. He did show flashes of like step backs, but I do just question the NBA if he'll be able to get to it quite as much. But yeah, if look, if he's open, if you give him any space, that, that thing is going in. And yeah, like as bad as, you know, the, the Duncan Robinson contract, not a popular thing, but there's a reason he got the money in the first place. I mean, if you can shoot it, like, you know, everyone laughed at the, uh, the Cam Johnson pick when it happened Kobe White was the first guy that was like really he got picked that high but I mean that guy's gonna be in the NBA for you know 12 years I mean it's like man if you can shoot you have a little bit of size even if you can't create your own shot if you're just money off the catch and shoot like I mean that's just such a big step up as opposed to like even a guy like I think Jeremy Sohan will be better but Jeremy Sohan like he has so much like there's so many ifs to get him like as a starter, whereas Griffin, you're just like, oh yeah, you can you can hit 42% from three. Yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah, you can get 25 minutes a game. I just think that shooting, I think that the NBA has still even been slow to it. Like it's by far the most important skill that you can have. And I think it should just count double over like anything else. Maybe not fully double, but pretty, pretty close to that. Okay. So to, to finish up the pod, we're just gonna quickly touch on. The number who we all have ranked number one, um, and I think I think we've got a bit of a mixture here. So I have Jabari ranked number one, Chase has Chet ranked number one, and Tim, where where are you with number one right now? Um, I think that Chet is both the safest, and I think that is his upside is being underrated. But 
with the recent reports that Paulo was being measured at 6'10 barefoot, it's kind of made me switch switch my idea. If he's actually like an inch and a half taller than expected and he's, you know, around 6'11 in shoes, but either one of those. I think that Jabari Parker, as a Hornets fan that has to, we have to watch the Magic four times a year and they're a competitor, I hope they take Jabari Smith. That's because you think he's going to struggle from what I said. Not even necessarily that. I, I mean, I think that his first year he might be, I think his first year he'll probably be better than Paulo. I just don't see, with a guy that shoots like, you know, almost 40% inside the arc, he could be a knockdown shooter. And I was just talking about the importance of shooting. That's at the 11th pick or the 13th pick, not the first pick overall. I think Jabari will be knocked down and he'll be like an awesome, like, you know, third best player. But I think that Chet is, people are just kind of overthinking it in his weight. I know he's like an anomaly, but I mean, he's just a guy who's one of the best college defensive players of the last decade. He can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot a little bit. His floor is just very high. Uh, I just think that Jabari, like, I don't think he's a bad player, but I mean, of the top three, I, I have like Chet and Paulo in one tier, and then I have Jabari in his own tier with like Jaden Ivey. You see, I, I will say I have Jabari number one, but I am due a big board update probably by early next week. I think there is going to be movement in my top four here. Yeah. And I think I am going to move Paolo ahead of Chet, which... Can't blame you. I, two months ago, I had Chet number one. But after just hearing in a little bit more about Bancaro, I went back and watched some of his playmaking. And I, I just kind of took a step back. And it's been at the back of my mind, it's just been there, that... What do you want in the number one overall pick? You want someone who can score whenever you want in the half court and someone you can play your offense through. And Paolo is the best one. If you're talking about those two things, Paolo is the best one there. Now, there are concerns about defense, about his shot, um, about just his ability to, to play efficiently and the kind of, again, like those scoring power forwards or a little bit like what you were saying with the shooting guards, Tim, a little bit weird molds. Um, it's the it's the Duke special also where Duke just brings that like you know Apollo like he gets like a little bit of the Jabari like you know paying the Okafor they've had a bunch of like you know good offensive players but I think that I don't think that Apollo is going to be Jason Tatum but I think he will be better than even like you know the Carlos Boozer era Duke's just had a bunch of offensive power forwards come out in the last like 20 years so that haven't really hit yeah, so I, I think I, I do like Bancaro. I think I am going to move him up on my next big board. But um, yeah, the, the number one, the number one would be interesting. In terms of the guy I'd like to see most playing in Orlando, it probably would be Chet, just because he's just a strange alien, like in, in terms of his build and his play style and his statistical profile, how he projects. And I just think it'd be really cool to watch to watch that. But yeah, I'm. I it feels like we're going to get. One of those two, Jabari or Chat. Apparently, Jabari's Vegas odds have dropped like 700 points in the last uh, three days. So he's the Vegas favorite. And like, if I was an Orlando fan, I would want them to take Chet. So I say this as a Hornets fan because I think that Chet is going to be really good. And I think Apollo can be really good, but that's another thing. We always talk about like environment, where you go into like, you know, your first year 
And uh, I, I think that if he ends up in the right place, but none of, none of the top three spots really, maybe Oklahoma City, but I do worry about him. In the right development, I think he could be the best player, but there's just a lot of variables with him. Chase, Paolo Bencaro, 6'10 and a half without shoes. Is that, is that shifting your evaluation at all? Or are you pretty happy and set with where you're at? Uh, I mean, I don't think it would uh, make me like move him up uh, my board or anything I do have him third but like that's not to say that I'm low on him I guess like uh, I still think he'd be really good and I think that um, whoever ends up going third out of these three guys like both the player and the team that picked them are in like such an, a difficult spot to lose because all they have to do is just not be the worst of the three and then you're <laughs> like this team is a genius for, you know, waiting and letting the player fall to them and making the right decision. This player ended up in the right spot for him. And now it ended up uh, having a long career where he might not have in another spot, like all, all that kind of stuff is going to happen to whoever goes third, as long as that player ends up being like a competent NBA player. But um, I, so I, I do have chat number one. Um uh, and I'm pretty, pretty firmly like it's not I do like all three of them. Like, I think that any of these three players are would be fine to go number one to Orlando. I wouldn't uh, have a huge gripe with any of them. But the, the pitch for Chet to me is a I don't know if any of these three players make more than like a handful of all star teams, probably at the most, maybe more like three or four Go under. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe Two more and like half, I'd take maybe maybe over on one of them, but yeah, no no more than three and a half. Yeah. So then and that's what I was thinking. So then you go to defense uh, on in that regard. I definitely think Chet has like all defense level potential. Like he is a very versatile front court defender, really good rim protector, good instincts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then on the other end, he is a stretch five that can pass a little bit in the open court, he can ball handle a little bit in the open court as well. And he shot 39% from three. So as long as that defensive impact uh, translates from what it was at Gonzaga to, to the NBA, and it doesn't even have to be immediately uh, just as long as it does eventually, I think that he is going to be like the most valuable player in this class to uh, like a competitive team. Uh, I think he's going to be like the most impactful two-way player. And I have, I have trouble drafting anybody this high. That's not an impactful two-way player or at least doesn't have like potential to to do so so that that's my my pitch for chet we can uh we can wrap up after this but i just want to say like i just think it's funny that everyone did we had the same discussion with evan mobley obviously they're obvious player like you know different players but like then february of this season everyone was like how did evan mobley not go number one and right. then chet yeah. is up this year and they're just like well i'm definitely not taking that skinny tall guy Sure, he had great defensive numbers and never fouled and great shot blocker can like pass and shoot, but like, well, this is a totally different situation. I mean, I'm not saying they're one to one, but I do think it's funny how quick our memories are just like, oh yeah, on to the next one. I still have Cade number one over Evan Mobley. I, I still hold on to that. It might not be popular, but that's how I'm saying. So um, I think that'll do us. We we've run a little bit long today, but we had a lot of interesting trades. We had some draft talk. The draft is by the time you hear this, it'll be under a week away. So we are we are really ramping up. The Hornets are going to make a move. I'm, I'm almost sure of it. Uh, but Chase, Tim, thank you for joining me. Um, great, been great chatting with you. And I will look forward to speaking to you both again uh, 
Chase, probably before draft night. Tim, we'll make sure to have you on after draft night and get some of your thoughts on how it goes. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man.